Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. On the second half of today's episode, we'll read paragraphs 1803 through 1832, and today we'll talk about virtue. So paragraph 1803 says, A virtue is an habitual and firm disposition to do the good. So virtue is good habits. Um, It allows, uh, paragraph 1803 goes on to say, It allows the person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. Not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. I like this line because oftentimes I think virtuous people are kind of characterized as being kind of like goody two-shoes or naive people who are missing out on the excitement, the adventure, etc. of life. Um, But as the catechism points out here, when we live virtuous lives, we actually access more of ourselves in the best way so that we can be the best version of best versions of ourselves, which I feel like is is kind of like a a tagline, tagline, buzzword, buzz phrase uh, for today, you know, be and become the best version of yourself. Um, Dan and I have acquaintances who uh, basically sell, um, I don't know if it's like a vitamin or a pill that the, the tagline for promoting the pill is like activate yourself or activate your life, activate all that you have within you. And again, what this paragraph is saying in the catechism is that as we live virtuous lives, as we grow in virtue, we continue to practice virtue and thereby become more virtuous. We live the best versions of our lives or we become the best of ourselves. We have the best of ourselves to give, which... Who doesn't want that? How awesome is that? Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes um, the, th- the thing that keeps me up at night is, a- am I living the best life I could be living? Am I doing all that I could do? Am I you know, learning and growing and praying and using all the gifts and talents that God has given me to give of myself completely and receive all that God has for me to give? And so the catechism encourages us here to, to strive for virtue and in doing so, we'll, we'll give the best that we have to give. Paragraph 1804 goes on to say, The virtuous man is he who freely practices the good. Freely practices the good. And we've heard this phrasing for a couple weeks now in that choosing the good, um, knowing the truth, choosing the good, avoiding evil, as we talked about last week, um, That that's the thing for which we were made. And the more we do it, the easier it becomes, the happier we are. So paragraph 1804 again says, the virtuous man is he who freely practices the good. Um, My, excuse me, my mom, God rest her soul, was a a cereal dieter throughout her life. And in a certain phase of life, she she loved ice cream. She would say, man, if I just wish that I didn't love ice cream so much. Um, And essentially what she was saying is, you know, I wish it were easier to choose, choose healthy options and as a result, live a happier, healthier, perhaps skinnier life. And that's a good analogy, I think, for virtue. So recall from maybe two or three weeks ago, paragraph 1733 said, the more one does what is good, the freer one becomes. So, and we can think of so many things in life. You know, the more we practice the sport, the more we play the piano, um, the more we, what? 
I'm thinking of something in, in relationships, the more we're kind or patient. Um, actually, I don't know if the, the more we're patient, the easier it becomes. Um, but the more we do these good things, the stronger we become, the better we become at doing them. And here again, the catechism reminds us the, the freer we become, the more able we are to do these good things and to live happier, more whole lives. So in terms of eating healthily, um, if I eat healthily, maybe I'm more thin, I'm more fit, I decrease my chances of disease and illness, I'm able to become more active because I feel better, and the more active I am, the more fit I become, healthy I become, etc. Uh, we could say the same thing about, let's say, getting up early. You know, at first it might be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get out of bed, it's so comfy here, it's so dark outside still. Um, so at first it's, it's difficult, but the, the more we do it and just will ourselves or discipline ourselves and just get up, get up, get up, you know, hit off that alarm and hop out of bed, the easier it becomes. And then one day we might even enjoy it. We could say the same of praying. Uh, maybe when I first sit down to pray, maybe intellectually, I know I want to pray. I know I'm made to pray. I know it's good for me, but when I pray, I don't really feel anything, um, but I continue to do it. I carve out that time, let's say five minutes every morning and then 10 minutes every morning and then 15 minutes every morning. And as I am faithful to that practice, I'm striving for this, this discipline, this virtue, setting aside this time. Um, over time, it becomes not so bad. And then eventually it becomes kind of good and maybe even great. And then eventually I get to the point where I can't live without it. Uh, my brother, Father Gregory, preached one time on the importance of prayer. He said, pray as though your life depended on it, because it does. And he equated uh, air in the lungs to, or pray, prayer in the soul to air in the lungs. Okay, we, we need to pray. We need to uh, breathe in the life of God and be connected to he who is life itself. And so pray as though your life depended on it, because it does. And as we do each of these things, especially the virtuous, prayerful, sacramental, upright, moral, living things, uh, we begin to see the value in Jesus's teaching or the, the teaching of Jesus entrusted to the church, that it's not like, do this and don't do that because I said so, but like, hey, this is good. And if you can get on board with it and do it and do it and do it, it becomes easier. And then we can find the joy and the life-giving nature of it. So the moral mandate is do good and avoid evil. So we've talked about a couple doing good things. So praying, um, maybe getting up early to pray, eating healthily uh, so that we are in good shape to do all the things that we are made to do. We can also talk about avoiding evil. So like these other examples, um, we could say, we could use the examples of gossiping and uh, the use of pornography. So gossiping, uh, you know, at first we, we might know intellectually, like I shouldn't do this. It's probably better if I don't do this. But in practice, it's very hard. But if I put in that time and that effort, I go to the, you know, the spiritual gym of not gossiping, it becomes a little easier. At first, I might miss it and wonder, like, how do I relate to these other people in my life with whom I used to gossip? Like, what, what do we talk about? And how do we kind of, it, it might feel like the ground of the relationship shifts a little bit. But then over time, if we continue to strive for this virtue, strive to put away, uh, avoid evil, put away the sin of gossip, and 
strive for the the good, fruitful conversation we could have with other people, it becomes easier. And then eventually it becomes really good and then great. And then one day we could look around at our relationships and think like, man, what did these relationships used to be based on? Or perhaps, sadly, some of those relationships purely based on gossip or gossipy in nature may have fallen away. And we look around and see that the relationships we do have are more profound, more beautiful, more virtuous. With pornography, I've brought up this example over the last couple of weeks because I've encountered a number of people lately who are really struggling with this, who are really trying to get it out of their lives. And because of its addictive nature, um, it's so difficult. And so we pray for all those who struggle with the, the addiction to pornography. Lord, give us the grace to send that to the foot of the cross. Um, may it not touch our lives, nor the lives of those whom we love, nor any lives. Um, and fill us, fill our hearts and minds with your truth, goodness, and beauty. So with pornography, um, at first it might be really difficult. Again, we know intellectually um, this is bad. This is hurting my relationships. And I know that I should give this up or I want to give this up. But it's really difficult. And I don't quite know how to change this behavior or um, you know, ch- change this addiction. Over time, if we strive to, um, to give it up, to put it out of our lives, um, you know, we might begin to see the merit in it, but the, the ties might be so strong still that it's still difficult. We might wrestle with the decision. But as we persevere by the grace of God and through discipline and striving for virtue, um, you know, we, we begin to see like, wow, this is really hard, but I see that, but I see the merit and in not viewing pornography and I want out of it. Eventually, by the grace of God, I choose uh, pornography life again and again and again. Over time, it becomes easier, and then eventually, God willing, we are freed from this addiction. We're free to relate well to others. We're free to love and truly love, will the good of the other, and not be selfish. Paragraph 1810 says, Human virtue acquired by education, by deliberate acts, and by a perseverance ever renewed in repeated efforts are purified and elevated by divine grace. With God's help, they forge character and give facility in the practice of the good. The virtuous man is happy to practice them. So we as human beings put forth effort. Okay, we strive for a virtuous life. But then it's the grace of God, so 18 cent. 1810 says, elevated by divine grace, we are able to live this virtuous life, to choose good and avoid evil. 1811 goes on to say, it is not easy for man, wounded by sin, to maintain moral balance. Christ's gift of salvation offers us the grace necessary to persevere in the pursuit of the virtues. Everyone should always ask for this grace of light and strength, frequent the sacraments, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and follow his calls to love what is good and shun evil. So each day we should be asking for the grace of light and strength. We should be frequenting the sacraments and cooperating with the Holy Spirit, following his call to love what is good and shun evil. There's something in this paragraph that reminds me of this um, this really colorful example from C.S. Lewis's The Great Uh, I think it was The Great Divorce, where there's this man um, who just deeply desires to enter heaven, but he has this one little little pet sin. I think it's like a little lizard on his shoulder. And uh, he's trying to convince some sort of gatekeeper, um, like, it's okay. I can enter heaven with this little guy on my shoulder. He's not doing that much harm. 
he doesn't affect all of my life. It's just this one little area of my life. Um, so please let me in. And the, the gatekeeper says, nope, you have to give it all to God. Okay, no, no sin, um, no darkness, nothing that is not of God can enter heaven. And so you have to give it up. And he will give you the grace to do it. But he respects your free will. So he won't force it upon you. He will not, um, you know, remove this little wizard from your shoulder without your permission because he loves you. He respects your freedom. Um, and so when you give him the go-ahead, you know, he'll do it. But, but he's waiting on you. And so the character kind of deliberates and he's trying to justify this little sin saying, it's not so bad. It's not a big deal. Come on, let me in. Eventually, after going back and forth, he says, okay, he just, he just, you know, tosses his hands in the air and says, like, do it already. Just get rid of this thing in me. Give me the grace, basically, um, to let this sin go so that I can, can enter heaven. And so this, again, my, it's been a while since I've read this, but it's either like an angel or some sort of guardian, um, uh, I want to say like pierces the lizard with some sort of like flaming sword and the, the lizard is transformed into this like this pegasus creature that then carries the man to heaven and there, there's a lot of symbolism in this but um, the takeaway for us right now is that um, you know we got God respects our free will um, so he doesn't you know he doesn't remove these things from our lives or, or force us to choose the good and avoid evil. He respects our free will. Um, but when we give him our permission, he just wants to flood us with his grace, give us the grace and strength um, to live the virtuous life, to live the free and happy life. So come Lord Jesus, give us the grace um, to live the, the free and happy life that you have for us. This section of the Catechism, so this is Part 3, Section 1, and we're in Article 7, The Virtues, then quickly goes through the four cardinal virtues and the three theological virtues. So paragraphs 1806 through 1809 cover the cardinal. Cardinal simply means hinge virtues. So it's on these four, four virtues that all the other virtues, human virtues, hinge. Um, 1805 says that these four virtues play a pivotal role and accordingly are called cardinal. All the others are grouped around them. So 1806 says, prudence is right reason in action, writes St. Thomas Aquinas. It is not to be confused with timidity or fear. So sometimes we hear the, the, uh, the word prudence and we think of someone who kind of hedges his or her bets, lives the safe life or walks the safe road um, so as not to you know, um, stray too much in any one direction and just kind of, kind of play it safe. And so the catechism points out here, it's, it's not to be confused with timidity or fear. It's right reason. So as human beings, we are given a rational intellect and a free will. And so prudence is the virtue that helps us to know what is the good in a situation to recognize reality and know that good and then eventually choose it. This makes me think of those kind of like Jason Bourne-esque movies where, you know, a CIA agent or whoever walks into a room and immediately sees like, you know, the enemy spy behind the counter, like the knife under the stool, the bottle of vodka that he can like crash on the bar and then like in three moves hold somebody hostage and then like get the keys and drive the car away. So prudence is that virtue that helps us just in a situation look around recognize the reality, see the good, and ultimately choose it.
1807 then discusses justice. Justice is the virtue um, by which we give to God and our neighbor what's due to them. So what's due to God but our love and worship, he who has given us life and existence. Um, What's due to our neighbor, all that is good. So this, you know, deals with everything from uh, it, it is just to give a hungry person bread, a thirsty person drink. It is just to um, put someone in prison who is a danger to society. So oftentimes when we hear justice, we think of kind of like the punishment end. But it is giving the the good, whether that's you know holding him or her back from hurting others or giving food and drink to a person who, who needs nourishment and drink. Um, justice is giving giving what is due to others, including God. 1808 then discusses fortitude, the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good. So like justice, when I hear fortitude, I immediately think of like bravery in danger, um, which, you know, is an opportunity for fortitude. It could also be um, in a situation where we want to fast or offer up a sacrifice for a loved one, someone who has asked us to pray for him or her. And it's fortitude that gives us the, what does the catechism say? The firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good. So it gives us the grace. Again, let's say we're, we're fasting on a Wednesday or a Friday on, let's say, bread and water, or we've given up something like, um, you know, chai tea lattes or coffee for the day and you know it's 2 p.m it's there's still a lot of the day left and we're hungry we're tired we're thinking like okay I've already made a sacrifice for like plenty of hours today let's just call it a day and you know have a little little snack or have a little drink here so it's the virtue of fortitude that gives us the grace to uh, to persevere and and make that full sacrifice or, or do what we set out to do This paragraph on fortitude ends with uh, two lines from scripture, one from the Psalms and one from the Gospel of John. Uh, So the, uh, excuse me, the Psalm, uh, Psalm 118, verse 14 says, the Lord is my strength and my song. So not only does God give us the grace to persevere, but to be joyful as we persevere or be joyful in the midst of the difficulty. The line from the Gospel of John, it comes from chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. In the midst of these difficulties, whether it's a dangerous situation, whether it's a a mundane sacrifice, and we want to persevere, um, Jesus reminds us, be of good cheer. In other words, we know how the story ends. Christ has won. Uh, He loves us. He's given his life for us. He wants us all to come to him and enjoy eternity with him in heaven. And so by his grace, we will do that that very thing. Lastly, uh, paragraph 1809 talks about the virtue of temperance. It's that moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. So using when it comes to food, drink, and sex, uh, moderating the attraction of the pleasures, uh, putting them, using them rightly, um, and enjoying them for the the ultimate good of of God, of the person, of ourselves, and not loving those things simply for themselves. Lastly, the three theological virtues, whereas the cardinal virtues or moral virtues are acquired, as paragraph eighteen oh four says, acquired by human effort 
So still with the grace of God, giving us the oomph to live them out. Um, they are acquired by human effort. The theological virtues, as paragraph 1812 says, relate directly to God. They dispose Christians to live in a relationship with the Holy Trinity. Paragraph 1813 goes on to say, they are infused by God into the souls of the faithful. So these theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, we can't really like work our way to. Like if we mm, like think hard enough or mm, work hard enough, we'll work our way to faith, belief in God, or like, oh, now I'm hopeful. Okay, now I'm filled with hope. Or like, mm, now I can will your good or love you with the virtue of charity. So first they come to us, they're infused in us by God himself. They open us up to this life with the Trinity. And then by our human effort and by the grace of God, we can grow in them. So paragraph 1814 discusses faith. Faith is a theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us. And that Holy Church proposes for our belief because he is truth itself. So we assent to the truth that God through the church places before us. The, the theological virtue of faith gives us the, the grace, the oomph to do that, to assent to the truth that God through the church places before us. Hope then, in paragraph 1817, is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. So whereas faith deals with belief, and we could say the intellect, hope deals with trust, and we could say our wills. The virtue of hope responds to the aspiration to happiness which God has placed in the heart of every man. So the virtue of hope responds to that which we uh, are directed towards, which we're striving for, and <laughs> for the sake of, of uh, at the, the risk of sounding redundant, what we're hoping for. Lastly, then, paragraph 1822 describes charity as the theological virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. So charity involves the intellect and the will. We know that God is God and is lovable. Our neighbor is lovable because God has loved each of us. And then we choose to love God and others, to will the good of the other. So God, please give us the grace to grow in prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Please help us to be open to receive more deeply, to grow in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, which you have infused into our souls. And then lastly, we'll end the first half of this episode by just kind of briefly touching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So paragraph 1831 says the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. They complete and perfect the virtues of those who receive them. They make the faithful docile in readily obeying divine inspirations. So these gifts of the Holy Spirit help us to live out these other virtues. If by the grace of God we strive for virtue, we receive these gifts of the Holy Spirit and use them in our lives. Then paragraph 1832 says we will then see the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are perfections that the Holy Spirit forms in us as the first fruits of eternal glory. The tradition of the church lists 12 of them. Charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. When I used to teach the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit to my students, um, it's easy to, to get them confused. And so I would have them draw 
my 10th graders have them draw these little apple trees in their notebooks where, you know, cute little fluffy green tree, little sun shining in the sky, I'd have them put apples on the tree, little raindrops, and then um, something like dots or speckles in the soil below the tree. And then I would have them label um, the, the sun, the rain, the soil, or the nutrients from the soil as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So these are things that are poured down upon us, poured into our souls by the, the pure gift of God, pure gift and, and love of, of God for each of us. If we then soak those up, we use them, we will have these little apples or fruits on our tree and we will see uh, more joy, more peace, more patience, gentleness, modesty, chastity, generosity popping up, uh, growing in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to live the virtuous life, help us to receive well the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that your fruits may abound in each and every one of our lives. We thank you for loving us, for having a plan for us, and we pray that you will continue to protect and guide us, our family and friends, and lead us through this beautiful life that you have for each and every one of us. We offer this up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll take a brief break, return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 1803 through 1832. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1803 through 1832. Article 7, The Virtues. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. A virtue is an habitual and firm disposition to do the good. It allows the person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. The virtuous person tends toward the good with all his sensory and spiritual powers. He pursues the good and chooses it in concrete actions. The goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. The human virtues. Human virtues are firm attitudes, stable dispositions, habitual perfections of intellect and will that govern our actions, order our passions, and guide our conduct according to reason and faith. They make possible ease, self-mastery, and joy in leading a morally good life. The virtuous man is he who freely practices the good. The moral virtues are acquired by human effort. They are the fruit and seed of morally good acts. They dispose all the powers of the human being for communion with divine love. The cardinal virtues. Four virtues play a pivotal role and accordingly are called cardinal. All the others are grouped around them. They are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. If anyone loves righteousness, wisdom's labors are virtues, for she teaches temperance and prudence, justice and courage. These virtues are praised under other names in many passages of scripture. Prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. The prudent man looks where he is going, Keep sane and sober for your prayers. Prudence is right reason in action, writes St. Thomas Aquinas, following Aristotle. It is not to be confused with timidity or fear, nor with duplicity or dissimulation. It is called origa virtutum, the charioteer of the virtues. It guides the other virtues by setting rule and measure. 
It is prudence that immediately guides the judgment of conscience. The prudent man determines and determines and directs his conduct in accordance with this judgment. With the help of this virtue, we apply moral principles to particular cases without error and overcome doubts about the good to achieve and the evil to avoid. Justice is the moral virtue that consists in the constant and firm will to give their due to God and neighbor. Justice toward God is called the virtue of religion. Justice toward men disposes one to respect the rights of each and to establish in human relationships the harmony that promotes equity with regard to persons and to the common good. The just man, often mentioned in the sacred scriptures, is distinguished by habitual right thinking and the uprightness of his conduct toward his neighbor. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Fortitude is the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good. It strengthens the resolve to resist temptations and to overcome obstacles in the moral life. The virtue of fortitude enables one to conquer fear, even fear of death, and to face trials and persecutions. It disposes one even to renounce and sacrifice his life in defense of a just cause. The Lord is my strength and my song. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Temperance is the moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. It ensures the will's mastery over instincts and keeps desires within the limits of what is honorable. The temperate person directs the sensitive appetites toward what is good and maintains a healthy discretion. Do not follow your inclination and strength, walking according to the desires of your heart. Temperance is often praised in the Old Testament. Do not follow your base desires, but restrain your appetites. In the New Testament, it is called moderation or sobriety. We ought to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world. To live well is nothing other than to love God with all one's heart and with all one's soul and with all one's efforts. From this it comes about that love is kept whole and uncorrupted through temperance. No misfortune can disturb it, and this is fortitude. It obeys only God, and this is justice and is careful in discerning things so as not to be surprised by deceit or trickery, and this is prudence. That comes from St. Augustine. The virtues and grace. Human virtues acquired by education, by deliberate acts, and by a perseverance ever renewed in repeated efforts are purified and elevated by divine grace. With God's help, they forge character and give facility in the practice of the good. The virtuous man is happy to practice them. It is not easy for man, wounded by sin, to maintain moral balance. Christ's gift of salvation offers us the grace necessary to persevere in the pursuit of the virtues. Everyone should always ask for this grace of light and strength. Frequent the sacraments, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and follow his calls to love what is good and shun evil. The Theological Virtues The human virtues are rooted in the theological virtues, which adapt man's faculties for participation in the divine nature. For the theological virtues relate directly to God. They dispose Christians to live in a relationship with the Holy Trinity. They have the one and triune God for their origin, motive, and object. The theological virtues are the foundation of Christian moral activity. They animate it and give it its special character. They inform and give life to all the moral virtues. They are infused by God into the souls of the faithful to make them capable of acting as his children and of meriting eternal life. They are the pledge of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit in the faculties of the human being. There are three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. 
Faith. Faith is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us, and that Holy Church proposes for our belief, because he is truth itself. By faith, man freely commits his entire self to God. For this reason, the believer seeks to know and do God's will. The righteous shall live by faith. Living faith works through charity. The gift of faith remains in one who has not sinned against it. But faith apart from works is dead. When it is deprived of hope and love, faith does not fully unite the believer to Christ and does not make him a living member of his body. The disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live on it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it, and spread it. All, however, must be prepared to confess Christ before men and to follow him along the way of the cross, amidst the persecutions which the church never lacks. Service of and witness to the faith are necessary for salvation. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Hope. Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The Holy Spirit, he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. The virtue of hope responds to the aspiration to happiness, which God has placed in the heart of every man. It takes up the hopes that inspire men's activities and purifies them so as to order them to the kingdom of heaven. It keeps man from discouragement. It sustains him during times of abandonment. It opens up his heart in expectation of eternal beatitude. Buoyed up by hope, he is preserved from selfishness and led to the happiness that flows from charity. Christian hope takes up and fulfills the hope of the chosen people, which has its origin and model in the hope of Abraham, who was blessed abundantly by the promises of God fulfilled in Isaac, and who was purified by the test of the sacrifice. Hoping against hope, he believed and thus became the father of many nations. Christian hope unfolds from the beginning of Jesus' preaching in the proclamation of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes raise our hope toward heaven as the new promised land. They trace the path that leads through the trials that await the disciples of Jesus. But through the merits of Jesus Christ and of his passion, God keeps us in the hope that does not disappoint. Hope is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul that enters where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Hope is also a weapon that protects us in the struggle of salvation. Let us put on the breastplate of faith and charity, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. It affords us joy even under trial. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Hope is expressed and nourished in prayer, especially in the Our Father, the summary of everything that hope leads us to desire. We can therefore hope in the glory of heaven promised by God to those who love him and do his will. In every circumstance, each one of us should hope, with the grace of God, to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. In hope, the church prays for all men to be saved. She longs to be united with Christ, her bridegroom, in the glory of heaven. Hope, O my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully, for everything passes quickly. Even excuse me, even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove the love that you bear your God, and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved, 
in a happiness and rapture that can never end. That's St. Teresa of Avila. Charity. Charity is a theological virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. Jesus makes charity the new commandment. By loving his own to the end, he makes manifest the Father's love which he receives. By loving one another, the disciples imitate the love of Jesus, which they themselves receive. Whence Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Fruit of the Spirit and fullness of the law, charity keeps the commandments of God and his Christ. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Christ died out of love for us while we were still enemies. The Lord asks us to love as he does, even our enemies, to make ourselves the neighbor of those farthest away, and to love children and the poor as Christ himself. The Apostle Paul has given an incomparable depiction of charity. Charity is patient and kind. Charity is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Charity does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Charity bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If I have not charity, says the apostle, I am nothing. Whatever my privilege, service, or even virtue, if I have not charity, I gain nothing. Charity is superior to all the virtues. It is the first of the theological virtues. So faith, hope, charity abide, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The practice of all the virtues is animated and inspired by charity, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It is the form of the virtues. It articulates and orders them among themselves. It is the source and the goal of their Christian practice. Charity upholds and purifies our human ability to love and raises it to the supernatural perfection of divine love. The practice of the moral life animated by charity gives to the Christian the spiritual freedom of the children of God. He no longer stands before God as a slave in servile fear or as a mercenary looking for wages, but as a son responding to the love of him who first loved us. If we turn away from evil out of fear of punishment, we are in the position of slaves. If we pursue the enticement of wages, we resemble mercenaries. Finally, if we obey for the sake of the good itself and out of love for him who commands, we are in the position of children. That's St. Basil. The fruits of charity are joy, peace, and mercy. Charity demands beneficence and fraternal correction. It is benevolence. It fosters reciprocity and remains disinterested and generous. It is friendship and communion. Love is itself the fulfillment of all our works. There is the goal. That is why we run. We run toward it, and once we reach it, in it we shall find rest. That's St. Augustine. The Gifts and Fruits of the Holy Spirit The moral life of Christians is sustained by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are permanent dispositions which make man docile in following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. They belong in their fullness to Christ, Son of David. They complete and perfect the virtues of those who receive them. They make the faithful docile in readily obeying divine inspirations. Let your good spirit lead me on a level path. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The fruits of the Spirit are perfections that the Holy Spirit forms in us as the first fruits of eternal glory. The tradition of the church lists 12 of them. 
charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, chastity. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Uh, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast and on Facebook under Rebecca Doherty between this week and next week's episode. Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.